The, uh, the letter that we're looking at this morning to the Philippians was said to be one of several letters that Paul wrote during his time in prison. And so this is the setting and the writing of this letter when Paul was in prison. He wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, sitting in a, a comfortable home, um, you know, with his little snacks and so on and so forth. He was in prison for the faith. And while he was in prison for the faith, um, he couldn't stop thinking about the churches, the churches. Yeah, wow. And so... Yeah, he cares for them. That's right. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about how they're doing, as we're going to look into as well. And he wants to know how they're doing because he cares for them. He's not trying to um, be a busybody and he's not trying to push himself on to anyone or be forceful in any way. Um, the Lord had used Paul, the apostle, to birth this church, if you will, in Philippi specifically. And so Paul cared for him. It wasn't just a job for Paul, it was his life. And he was pouring out his life into these believers and to other believers, not only those at Philippi, uh, but as many as he could. He gave his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in turn, what that looks like is giving his life for others, especially the saints of God. And so this is the setting of the letter here, that, that Paul is in jail <laughs> And he's thinking of the church in Philippi and he's writing to the church in Philippi uh, amongst several other letters that he wrote to other churches. The verse we're going to be looking at, we're going to focus on one verse. <clears throat> but let's just read from verse 12 and then we'll come down to our verse. says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen, un fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what he's saying is, is they've, they've imprisoned me and they have sought, in essence, to, to bring the gospel or the propagation of the gospel to a stop, but it's done the opposite effect. It's still going out. They can't stop it, and it hasn't stopped. And so these bonds have not caused Christians to back off. As a matter of fact, Christians have taken courage by the faith of Paul and by his commitment to the Lord, uh, for they themselves to say, let's stand for Christ and let's stand for the gospel. And so they were waxing bold. They also became bold in being unashamed of the gospel, willing and seeing, okay, we see what Paul's gone through for standing for the gospel. And you know what? Christ is worth it. And so they seeing their brother Paul, the apostle, standing and suffering for the cause of Christ, were willing to identify with him and were not ashamed of his bonds, but recognized and identified that he was suffering as a Christian, not a troublemaker. And so other brethren in the Lord grew confident in that. And they didn't back off. And he says a reality here, it's a sad reality, but it's a true one. Verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, 
not sincerely supposing to add afflictions to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever seen that take place. And you know what that seems like? It looks like a, uh, almost like a mocker and a scoffer that knows what you're preaching and they go to someone, oh yeah, Paul the Apostle said that we're all sinners and we're on our way to hell. And what are they seeking to really do? They're wanting to cause more trouble to Paul and trying to somewhat distort his message. But the reality is that's a true thing. And so Paul's saying some are preaching like this because they want to cause me more trouble. But then there's others that are preaching the gospel sincerely. In other words, they know about Paul's affairs saying, no, Paul cares for people. This is why he's telling them about Jesus. This is why he's telling them about hell. And this is why Jesus came to save them from their sin because he doesn't want them to go to hell. And some preach the gospel sincerely in love. And there are those kind too. And Paul said, he says in verse 18, he says, <clears throat> What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth. So in other words, whether it was just an outward thing, an outward show, or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Uh, now, that's a man that's not insecure. And that's a man that rejoices that the gospel's getting out there. And even though mockers and scoffers going around and, and seeking to say, oh, this guy, man, always talking about Jesus, Jesus being the only way and, and speaking like that. When I hear something like that, for me, that brings me joy because they're just gossiping the gospel and they're spreading the gospel. They're not meaning it so people can come to the Lord. But you know what that gospel seed can do? You see, God can use a donkey to communicate his word. God can use even a false movement. But if there's a seed of truth of the gospel, that Therein lies the power of God unto salvation. And so although many might mean it for evil, how God uses it for good every time. So he was rejoicing in the fact that the gospel was going out. Verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, very consistent, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. What a mindset, what a heart, what a man of God and by his fingers or by under, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. We're going to get to the verse we're going to focus on. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whether I'm alive, it's for Him. Whether I die, it's for Him. It's all gain for me because it's all about Him. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, I'm divided, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He says, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day when I depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, physically speaking, is more needful for you. He's not talking about carnal tendencies. He's talking about just the physical. He says, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, 
for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming again to you. They were rejoicing uh, even over Paul in the absence of Paul, and he's saying, how much more if I come and see you face to face will the rejoicing be? But now we come to the text we're going to focus on in light of that. In light of all of this, in light of the setting that Paul is in and, and what Paul just lifted up and saying, look, whether by life or death, Christ is going to be magnified in my body. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I'm going to die, it's going to be for Christ. Whatever it is, it's all for the Lord. And he says now, verse 27, and this is going to be our text that we're going to look at. Don't miss the very first word there. Only. Only. Think about that word for a moment. Only. So when you stop and we think about a word and we just even sometimes may repeat it, meditate on it and think about it, you start to really unfold the word. You start to open it up and you see what's behind this word and how deep does this word go. And it's a very simple word, but it's a very important word that starts off what Paul is continuing to stay here. And so think on this word only, brothers and sisters. My friends, think on this word only. Only. Only what, Paul? He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It is, and this is what we're going to unfold. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Let's come before the Lord uh, one more time in a word of prayer. And I just want to encourage you individually and personally, and especially if you're very familiar with this portion of Scripture, especially if you're very familiar with this verse of Scripture, maybe you can ask God, God, make this fresh to me. Dear Lord, help me to understand or glean today what you want me to take away and receive from your word. Help me to think on these things that are true. Help me to see what you want for me. And Lord, help me to examine my life in light of your word to see, Lord, am I what you want me to be? Is my mindset like this or is my heart and affection elsewhere? And so I want to give you a moment. Let's come before the Lord. I just want to encourage you to lift up even perhaps the most simplest prayer saying, God, if you're there, please speak to me and please help me to see what you want. I want to know the truth. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your ways, Lord, how perfect and right and true and holy they are. 
how good they are, how contrary they are to the way of the world, but how sweet they are to the children of God. Lord, we praise you. Father, we confess when we come across a scripture or scriptures like this, and we seek to make application and meditate on it, Lord, and seek to examine our lives currently in light of it, Father. We acknowledge, Lord, that there is often many things, Lord, or something there that is found wanting. And so, dear God, we just come to you in all simplicity, afresh this morning as our brethren have also in other parts. Lord, we too come now and ask and pray you'd be pleased to open our understanding that we may understand the Scriptures and that you would illumine our hearts, Lord, to understand what the Spirit of the Lord saith. And Father, we desire that you'd be pleased to have liberty amongst us. Work freely in all hearts, Lord, as we yield ourselves, every one of us, individually to you. We yield ourselves, Lord, and we want to hear from you, dear God. And I pray you'd minister to us, Lord, every one of us, as we commit our way to you. Father, for those that are amongst us that don't know you as Saviour, open the eyes of their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures and understand their need to be saved. For those that are amongst us, Lord, that have not applied themselves or given themselves over to you to live in such a way as we're about to see, Lord, in such a way as we've read. Father, I do pray, Lord, you'd be the one to take your word and burn it in their hearts also. That this may be the focus, Lord, that they would apply themselves to allow you to work this reality in their life. And Father God, for those amongst us that are, Lord, desiring this and have been applying themselves, Lord, to growing in Christ and living in such a way as, as you've specified here, Father, I pray you'd refresh those ones, Lord, and continue to guide them in the perfect way. So my God, we commit ourselves to you. Be pleased to take your servant, use him as a vessel to be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I was born again at 24 years old. And one of, the most in, one of the instant desires that I had was to get into this book. And Jesus saved me. And I still haven't gotten over that. He saved me in 2012 and I still stand in awe in the fact that He saved someone like me. But He saved me. And two instant desires that flooded my heart was, I have to tell everyone about this. And the second one was, I want to know what this book says. It's this, this unquenchable desire to read the Bible, to want to know the mind of God. And as 24 years old, unfolding the Bible and reading things like John 3.16 for the very first time, my jaw would drop and say, wow. And as I was applying myself, and, and for me personally, it was, it, was, it was instant where I was being persecuted for the gospel that I had just believed on. 
Now, I didn't know terminology like born again, regeneration, justification, sanctification. I just simply knew God gave the world a promise that if they would repent and believe on him to save them from their sins, because that's what he died for, that we can't do anything to add or take away from it. The only thing we can do is receive it. And if only you'd come to him as you are and trust him, believe on him to save you from your sin you'll be saved. That's all I knew and that's all I was sharing for some time. And I didn't know what I was suffering for. I didn't know that the scripture says you'll suffer for Christ. I didn't know that there'd be a sword that would come and bring division even between family members because of the gospel. I didn't know any of that. But as I'd start to read the scriptures, I'd start to understand what was happening. As I start to read the scriptures, I started to understand why my desires were changing, why my mindset was changing, where this burden started to come from to tell others and to be in his word. And then one of the scriptures amongst many others that I came across was this one here. And as a 24-year-old man, not knowing much of the scriptures, devouring what I could and taking in all I can from the word of God, I come across this. And God smote my heart. And this is why I paused for a moment on that very first word there, only. Because that's what got me. Only. Living a lifestyle that, ben uh, that, that befits or is becoming or resembles something of the gospel and something of Christ is something we may relate to and very... Uh, very easily and comfortably say, Amen, yes, we ought to be like Jesus. Uh, yes, Jesus ought to be working in our lives. And yes, we ought to be lifting up Christ in our life. But this one word here made it all the more serious saying, let it be all about your life. Only this is something of, of being, it, 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 it's, it's almost, let it, this be something exclusive of your life. Something that your life is characterized by. It, let it be simply and strictly this. And one thing that got me, was he wasn't just talking to ministers here. He wasn't just talking to pastors and preachers and those ministry workers. He wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. He's speaking to the saints of God. And he's not just saying you leaders, although leaders have a weighty responsibility and, and no doubt have a much more, a much more accountable in terms of feeding the flock of God and building up the saints of God. But he's not just talking to the leaders. He's not just talking to the preachers and, and that he's talking to all believers. And he says, you children of God, in essence, only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel. Only let your lifestyle, only exclusively, strictly the way you live, let it resemble the effect of the gospel in your life. Let your life, when everyone looks at it, and let your life, as much as you purpose it to, 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 to live out, let it be revolving and all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything you do is because of the gospel. Everything I speak is with the gospel in mind. Everything I, I desire is now all for the glory of God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only, strictly and simply let your lifestyle, let your manner of life, let the way you live and conduct yourself resemble what the gospel has done in your life. He's talking to the whole church. 
It's not just something that's to be expected of the pastor and the preacher. And how easy it is to sit and to look and point the finger and say, oh, he's not doing that and he's not doing that and he's not doing that and he's not doing that. What about us? What are we doing? What are we doing? Is my heart pointing the finger so I can get the attention of what I'm not doing to focus on what they're not doing so I can feel justified that, yeah, I'm, not, I'm doing the thing that they're not doing? Or our hearts purpose together as we're going to get to it in a moment to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Has every one of us applied ourselves and come before God and acknowledge the fact that, Lord, I acknowledge this word only. Only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel. The way you live. That word conversation is in direct reference to lifestyle. This is why I say it's the way you live. It's, it's, it's your lifestyle, it's your manner of life, it's your conduct, it's your behavior. It's actually the word for citizenship. It's the same idea as a citizen. And what he's saying is now that you have been affected by the gospel, now that the gospel is a reality in your life, now that you have been saved by grace through faith, you've become a citizen of heaven. And he's saying, let your conversation, let your lifestyle, let your citizenship be resembling the gospel. Let it be becometh as it becometh. Something, the, the word uh, becometh is for the word that it's appropriate. It's appropriately after a godly sort, as it's actually used elsewhere in the scriptures, after a godly sort. In Ephesians and elsewhere, he encourages the believers and he uses these words to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. To walk worthy is the same idea as becometh. And so to walk in a godly manner, to walk in such a way that is appropriate and agreeable and not contradictory to the gospel. Nothing about us ought to put confusion in the minds of brethren and the lost in terms of reflecting Christ Jesus in whom we are ambassadors or representatives of. It ought not to confuse people as what a child of the kingdom lives like and looks like. He's saying, let your lifestyle resemble what a child of the king looks like and lives like. How do we measure up to this, brothers and sisters? When I think about my life, when I think about what I've purposed my heart, what I what I've think about, what I've made to be my goal and what I'm striving for. When people look at me, I say, when people look at me, do they see someone that has made their whole life about the gospel? This is kind of what he's saying here. When people look at you, do they see someone that's all about the gospel? You see, all about the gospel doesn't mean I just preach and preach and preach and preach. That's not a life about the gospel. If all you're doing is preaching and that's all you want to do, there's something wrong with your heart. Because the gospel goes beyond just preaching. The gospel goes beyond just coming to church. The gospel goes just beyond attending those meetings and events that, that, that the congregation of God may be gathering over. That's not what the gospel is all about and just about. It goes beyond. It's affecting my life. Whether I'm in the midst of the assembly or I'm alone at home, my life is still all about the gospel. Yeah. 
It's all about Christ. It's all I live and breathe and think of. It's all about Him. Every decision I make is in the direction of the propagation or the furtherance of the gospel. It's about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about my family. It's not about what I want or desire. It's not even about my good ideas that I have for God. It's about the gospel. It's all about what effect has come into my life because of the gospel and everything I do is because of it. You see it in the life of the apostles who gave their life, literally gave their life to lay the foundation of the church of God. You see it in the life of Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and a wife that the scripture tells us were tent makers. Yet these tent makers that, 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 that had, a, had, had a job and, and, and lived perhaps like you would, some would consider, they just lived a, a, a normal life. They went to work and they lived, but, but they were committed to the gospel. They were committed to the Lord. They were committed to the cause of Christ and Paul says of them that they laid down their own necks for Paul's sake why would they lay down their own necks for another man you know why because they knew Paul was all about the gospel and they knew what God had set Paul aside to do and they could see that Paul was all about the propagation of Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls and lifting up the gospel of Jesus Christ and so they did whatever they could even risking their own lives at times so that Paul would continue to propagate the gospel. And they didn't just leave it up to Paul, they were active as well too. When they were still gathering at these times when it was transitioning and believers would still gather even in the synagogues, Priscilla and Aquila came across a, a, a mighty man in the scriptures named Apollos. And Apollos was, 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 was eloquent in the scriptures and he was preaching, but he was lacking something. And so Aquila and Priscilla inviting him over and their ministry wasn't behind a pulpit. Their ministry, as we would refer to it today, is, was around the dining table. Was around in the lounge room, if you will. And conversing with Apollos and taught him the more perfect way, the way of Jesus Christ. And he says, when Apollos left there, he went preaching the kingdom of God, salvation through Jesus Christ. These were ones that made their life all about the gospel. Their life was not about making tents. This was just a means to an end. It wasn't an end in itself. They weren't looking to make a million as it were. They were all about the gospel and whatever God had put before them to do, whether it's uh, tent making or anything else, they were doing it with all their heart as unto the Lord, but not neglecting the furtherance of the gospel. They were all about the gospel. You see it in the house of Stephanus. Where the Bible says they addicted themselves. I say addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. All they wanted to do and what they loved to do was serve the saints of God. That never happened before the gospel came into their life. But the moment the gospel affected them, it changed them. Their life wasn't about them anymore. Their life wasn't about giving so they can get back. Their life was just give, 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 especially for the household of faith. They were doing good to all men, but especially as they had opportunity to the household of faith. All their life, all their mindset, their workplace was around the gospel. It wasn't just about it, them, it was about Christ. And so how do we measure up to this, brothers and sisters? 
Are we making decisions because of the gospel's sake? Everything we are implementing or every pursuit we are going after, is it because we know without a shadow of a doubt or believe with simplicity and sincerity that this is the path God is leading us down because God has a purpose in this to further His kingdom and to further His glo- and to glorify Himself and further the gospel? This is the mindset, this is the heart that makes their lifestyle only befitting, resembling the gospel. The gospel, if it comes into your life, doesn't leave you the same. The gospel, when it takes effect in your life, you don't walk away with simply just a a new profession. You walk away a new man. You walk away with a new heart. Your affection, your desires, your purpose has changed instantly. How does that happen? That's what salvation is. This is what the gospel does. And as soon as this happens and everyone here that has been born again, everyone here that has tasted the grace of God, everyone here that has been saved or regenerated, whatever term you want to use, everyone here that knows of the goodness of God, that they've been delivered from their sins, that were singing, no, at that point in time, I wasn't the same person. There was something different now. I may not have realized at that very point in time and moment, I just got saved, but there was something that you noticed that that you just have new affection. You have a new desire. You don't want to do those things that you used to do anymore. And you just want, you have a desire now to be around the people of God. You have a desire to be in the word of God. You have a desire to tell people. You actually have a desire to somehow be active as much as you can in the work of the Lord. Where's this coming from? When what you wanted to do was something else before. Instant change. Instant. And knowing it wasn't because of you. This is the effect of the gospel. That was one of those scriptures I read that helped me to understand why I didn't want to smoke anymore. Why I didn't want to drink anymore. Why I didn't want to take drugs anymore. Why I didn't want to be a fornicator anymore. Why I didn't want to be a drunkard anymore. And why I didn't want to be around parties and pubs and clubs anymore. Because the scripture, when I read it, made absolute sense that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and all things become new. And it made absolute sense. That makes so much sense. Why I couldn't sit and enjoy a holiday would move you like I had done a full time because God has done a work it's something that comes and accompanies the gospel salvation doesn't just deliver you from sin and you got a free pass and ticket to heaven it changes you it affects you it's something that you realize he saved me someone who's not worthy to be saved someone who's deserving of hell And like Paul, we say that that love of God has arrested me. It's constrained me. And so all my affection, single focus, is about the gospel now. It's about things above. It's not about things on this earth anymore. You've changed from darkness to light. You're no longer on the side of the world, the flesh and the devil. You've come to the winning side because of the gospel. Let, only let your conversation be, only allow it to be, only let it be that which resembles, that which agrees, that which reflects the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a gospel. It's a powerful gospel. It's not just a a simple message or an option for people to take something that can better your life now. 
My friends, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a covenant that has been sealed with the blood of God's own son, with the blood of God, he has purchased the church. This isn't just another option for people to consider. This is the only way. It's the gospel. If your lifestyle, if your mannerisms, if your conduct, if your attire, if your language, if your mindset does not resemble a life that is in line with the gospel or, or something that reflects how it's been noticeably affected by the gospel, then my friend, I want to encourage you, examine yourself before the Lord. Because perhaps you may lack in the understanding of the scriptures and didn't realize that, wow, this is what God calls us to. Or perhaps you just don't agree with the scripture and you have your own idea about what, a Christ, what it's okay to be a Christian looks like. Christianity, you see, is not up to us for redefining as many different groups and perceptions and presentations have demonstrated. Christianity is defined in the scriptures Christianity by very definition means a follower of Jesus Christ and when we read the scriptures and even when we look in history and even when we look around the world today there are brethren of ours that have embraced Christ as their saviour some knowingly and some unknowingly that it was at the cost of their life but both have paid it because they deemed Christ worthy they deemed the gospel a worthy cause some have sold houses and lands just so they can meet the needs of suffering or struggling brethren where does this come from it comes from the spirit of god it comes from the gospel this was the effect we read of in acts chapter 2 that people were selling their houses and their lands because people were suffering for the cause of christ they were being kicked out of their villages they were being kicked out of their homes they were being rejected in the synagogues and by their religious leaders they were being perhaps losing their jobs because of the gospel and many lost their lives because of the gospel but you know what the spirit of God teaches the children of God bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ my life my mind my investments my giving is not according to my logic and my how I say it what I want or think or feel it's according to the gospel that's why I say you and I that have been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ knew instantly that there was something very different that took place that life all of a sudden changed from being all about me to being all about Christ it changed from being all about what I want to do in life and what I want to achieve in life and what I think is okay in life to God is this pleasing to you God is this what you want me to do God do you want me to make this investment Lord would you have me to take this job Father would you want me to be with this person is this the one that you've been preparing for me and me for her or him where does this come from? It comes from a heart that has changed lordship. We are no longer lords and kings and rulers over our own life anymore. We don't govern our own decisions anymore ever since the gospel came into our life. No one told us that. It was the spirit of God that made that clear in our hearts by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for all. So we should not live anymore for ourselves but unto him who died for all and rose again this is what paul tells us in second corinthians
because he died for me and gave his life for me, I'm going to die to me and give my life to him. That's how simply it works. A life that's all about and only about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> What's changed in your life? I'm not talking about what have you changed in your life. I'm saying what has God changed in your life? And I'm not talking about I just don't do some of those things I used to do, but I'm still doing these things and I'm, gonna, I'm working through them in, in such a way where you're trying to clean up your own life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this, this, this new man in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about this, this, this working of God in you, how God works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. How it is by the Spirit of God we are changed more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. What's changed and is changing in your life? Has that begun? Is that continuing? Brothers and sisters, only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel. You see, when Paul and Barnabas and the apostles were preaching the gospel and going about and, 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 and sharing Christ and preaching the resurrection of the dead, it was in Antioch where the Bible says they ministered for one year. The church gathered and they were teaching them the apostles' doctrine where they were first called Christians. Before they were called Christians, they were called disciples. And what a disciple was, was a follower of their discipler. And the disciples of Christ were, were, were shown, their lifestyle, their teaching, their mindset, everything about it resembled the one that people recognized to be Jesus Christ. And so it was actually from those that were looking on that gave them the name Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians, they were called Christians. First in Antioch. You know why? Because their lifestyle showed something that resembled the gospel effect in their life. And everyone could recognize, hey, these, peoples are, these people are followers of Jesus. I'll never forget it. God gave us an opportunity one time. Several of us given us many opportunities, but I'll never forget it. One time, it was, various, it was a very strange phrase. Whether this particular man had some knowledge, understanding of Christianity or the Scriptures, I don't know. But there was a man that was somewhat stranded. He had a flat tire and he was actually trying to drive on it. Uh, it was in the bush. We were going camping. And he only got so far and couldn't make it any further. It was literally flat to the point where it had come off the rim and was wobbling as he was driving and he just had to pull over. He couldn't keep driving. And so we were all driving past this guy and overtaking him. <laughs> and that, that, the parable of the Good Samaritan came, I think, smitten probably smote all of our hearts <laughs> and anyway anyway some of us turned back and the others were glad that someone turned back we super christians just driving past because we we needed to get on with life you know we turned back and we saw this man and and we spoke with this man and we saw his tire and he had no spare tire and so we had offered him to take that tire for him and get it replaced and get it pumped and bring it back to him and uh, it, was a, it was an absolute privilege, it was an absolute joy and, he, and it ended up being a sweet opportunity at the end. But when we stopped and came back and, and, and offered these things to him, it was just nothing. It was just like, a, of course, why wouldn't we? Again, when we think about what Christ wants us to do and live and, and I'll never forget the words he said to us. He says, 
He says, you men are, he says, you men are men of Christ. <laughs> I'm thinking that's very specific. You know? <laughs> you have your shirt on? No? Oh, I can't remember. I, I've always worn scripture shirts. So I don't know. I must have been then or there. But it wasn't the scripture shirt as such. And it wasn't even the, the witnessing that we were witnessing to him. It was what he saw that reflected what we were speaking to him that made him put two and two together saying, you men are men of Christ. And so what they were seeing here in the scriptures in, in, in Acts chapter 11, when they were looking at the preaching, when they were looking at the teaching, when they were looking at how they were assembling, when they were looking at some selling houses and lands to give, the, uh, give to others, when they were looking at how they were suffering for, for this gospel, when they were looking at all these things, they realized, hey, these are, these are Christians. These are followers of Christ. Because the lifestyle resembles what the gospel has done in their life. And so the exhortation, while Paul is in prison, given to the church of God there in Philippi, only let your lifestyle be all about, be a, a befitting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Total devotion. Complete consecration and commitment to God. It's not being ashamed of the gospel, it's sharing the gospel. It's living a lifestyle that's clearly evident that I'm not living for the here and now, but for I'm looking for that heavenly city. We're just sojourners. We're just passing through. This world is not our home. It's a lifestyle that does not resemble worldliness or the spirit of the world, but the spirit of holiness. It looks like someone that doesn't do what he used to do anymore. And so he exhorts also to the church in Ephesus, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And there are many specifics laid out in the New Testament as to what that looks like. There are many specific, there are many general exhortations and then there are very many specific exhortations. And I do want to look at some of them. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me as we consider some of these specifics of what does it look like to be a follower of God as dear children. What does it look like if I want my lifestyle to be only that which becometh or is befitting the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does it look like when the gospel has not only delivered me from my sin, but what does that look like? How does that actually affect me, not only positionally, but practically? And so he, Paul, exhorts the brethren practically in Ephesians chapter 5. Now look with me. In verse 1, he begins there by saying, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, exhorting them in the prior verses to love each other, to be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. And, 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 and just teaching them, put away your problems, put away your malice, put away your, your, your bickering and your backbiting and your, 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 your maliciousness and your, and, and your wrath and clamor and evil speaking and so forth. And he says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. He says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor, an offering well pleasing to God. I want to be so careful in saying this and I, I don't want to be irreverent, but there's, have you ever smelt something oh wow have you ever smelt something that's just like it's nice or makes you say wow or mm. 
or just it's pleasant, something pleasant. And then you've smelt things that are just like, oh, you know what I'm trying to say? And so, again, I don't want to be irreverent in trying to bring a simple picture here, but a sweet smelling savor unto God. So in other words, when, when, when God sees how we are behaving ourselves and God, when God sees our manner of life and when God sees our conduct and He sees His children, mm, He's well pleased. He's well pleased. It's something pleasant to Him. A sweet smelling sacrifice and offering to God. It was actually in connection to offering offerings to the Lord. And in connection in making offerings to God in the Old Testament, this term about being a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord was in connection with this. Something that God is well pleased with. But he goes on to say in verse 3, But fornication, harlotry this is. This is sex before marriage. But fornication and all uncleanness. Not just uncleanness, but all uncleanness. <laughs> all moral impurity, anything that will defile you. He says, all covetousness. And the idea behind covetousness is those that are greedy of gain. Those that are pursuing to gain more and want more and want more and want more. Those that are covetous. Now, this is one of the most convicting standards that Paul adds to here. Look with me at the end of verse 3. He says, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Let it not be once named among you. You say, what a standard. Who can meet this? We're all sinners. We all fall. We all fail. We all struggle. And so, you know what modern day Christianity has done? And you know what our own philosophy and justifications and making provision for our flesh has done? We have pulled down the standard of God and we've made, look, it's okay to struggle and it's okay to be struggling with this and it's okay if you're not all perfect, right? But the standard of God is, no, let it not once be named among you. The standard of God makes no provision for the flesh. The standard of God does not make any room for us. So who can meet it? This is why God has given us His Spirit. Because none can meet it. But if we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's why Paul, knowing what the power and grace of God can do by the Spirit of God through salvation... He says, let it not once be named among you, as becometh saints. The lost don't know any better. The lost don't have the power of God dwelling in them. The lost don't have the Spirit of God to conform them to the image of Christ, to break the bondage of sin. They don't have it, but the saints of God do. The lost don't have the Word, we do. Brothers and sisters, let it not once be named among us. This is the standard of God. And he goes on. In light of let it not once be named among us. And he says, neither filthiness. Those things that bring shame. Those things that bring shame. Nor foolish talking. This is silly talk. This is buffoonery. Buffoonery is actually the word. Being a buffoon. Being like a larrikin. Being like a joker. 
and in connection with the next thing, nor jesting. It's almost the same thing, but it's different. Jesting has more of the idea of those that are always just so lighthearted and joking. It's all a joke. Life's a big joke. And they always manage to make a joke out of everything, even using phrases and scriptures to use it as a joke. Well, God said, that's wrong. That ought not to be characteristic of the children of God. This is what the world teaches. This is what the world deems is okay. Hey, we're just having some fun. It's just good old jest, right? God says, not amongst the children of God. Not amongst the children of God. The children of God are filled with joy of the Lord, no doubt about it. The children of God laugh and rejoice over the things of God and they rejoice like God does when one sinner comes to repentance and they rejoice like, 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 like the Lord would if you see someone there sitting and reading a tract or they rejoice because God intervened in their program of life and He brought a divine opportunity where they had to stop what they were doing and share things about the Lord with this other person. They walk away rejoicing this is the joy that now becomes the joy of the saints of God the joy that even when we live for Christ and suffer for Christ and even like the disciples were kicked out because of the gospel they were preaching they said they went away rejoicing and full of the Holy Ghost my friend you'll never know true joy until you come to Jesus you'll never know true uh, happiness if you want to use the word until you come to Christ Jesus you got no idea about joy it's the joy of the Holy Ghost. So it's not about a Christian being miserable. and That's not a Christian, my friend. You got it wrong. That's your perception. You got it all wrong. And oftentimes I would say to people when I'm out there with this thing, mate, you're missing out. I'm not trying to manipulate them and I'm not trying to take the attention away from Christ and, and, and point it to the benefits of, that come with the gospel. But my friend, you're missing out on the joy of the Lord. If you've not made peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But the Christian is not a frolicky person in the sense where life's a big joke. It's not about jest. It's not about being uh, making a joke of someone at the ex you know making a joke at the expense of someone like those blonde jokes and like those husband and wife jokes. That's wrong. It's not. It ought not to be named once amongst the Christians. Not amongst the saints of God. It doesn't resemble what the gospel of God teaches us and works in us. It goes on to say these things which are not convenient. They're not befitting. They're not proper. It actually has the idea of a reversal of what a thing ought to be. They are not convenient. These are the opposite of what the gospel does. This is the opposite of what a follower of God as a dear child looks like. It's opposite to what it looks like. And he says, but rather giving of thanks. Your language is filled with thanksgiving. Your language is not filled with these things that are mentioned. Your conversation isn't characterized by this. It's, it's characterized by thankfulness. It's characterized by things of God and things of the scriptures and, 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 and things that become the gospel, things that are, accompany salvation. Your language changes. You're no longer a, a murmurer and a complainer, but someone that praises the Lord for all things and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is what happens when the gospel, this is what a follower of God looks like. And it bothers the lost. It bothers unsaved people. This is why when, when, the, when the Lord says 
You know, blessed are you when men shall revile you and falsely accuse you and many other things. And at the end of that, he says, rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. How do you do that? Not without the Spirit of God. Not without the Word of God. Not if you're not in the way of God. My friends, only by God can we live this kind of lifestyle. Only by the grace of God and by His Spirit given to us can we make our life only that which is resembling the gospel. And so the language changes. The mindset changes. The heart and affection change. Everything changes. <clears throat> I don't complain about things. We thank God for things. And when we find ourselves complaining now, we start to say sorry. And I don't know if you've found yourself, if you ever caught complaining or you complain amongst the brethren or you complain amongst someone, God might smite your heart and has spit in your heart at times where you go to that person and say, I'm so sorry that I was complaining in front of you. That is so wrong. I have nothing to complain about when I think about Christ. I have nothing to complain about when I think about what the gospel has done in my life and what God has wrought. Christ wants me to thank Him. He doesn't want me to be a complainer and murmurer. This is characteristic of the world and the flesh, isn't it? Always complaining, always murmuring. Oh, why do they get this and I don't get that? I deserve to get paid this and not this. Always murmuring, always complaining. And if, if the boss gives them a paradise, oh, is that all? Why not? It's always complaining, always murmuring. But the language of the child of God is filled with thanksgiving. It's filled with thanksgiving. This is why no matter what takes place in the life of the child of God, there's a thankfulness that overcomes them for all things. When something is being taken away from you, a loved one even perhaps to hit at home. The murmur and complainer says, oh, why, 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 why? The thankful heart says, I oh, thank God he gave me, yay, so much time with them. Thank you, Lord, that I had a daughter for so long. Thank you, God, that I had a son for so long. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to be with my mom or my dad for so long. Thank you, Lord, that we were able to enjoy a friendship for so long. Thank you, Lord. Not murmuring and complaining. Your language changes when you become a child of God. He goes on in verse 5, For this you know that no whoremonger, the description goes on, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You know why? Those that manifest a lifestyle like that, in 1 Corinthians 6 says, Don't be deceived, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on, in essence, in the same language. Look how it goes on in verse 6 now. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. One commentator said, Let none flatter you as though such things were tolerable and to be allowed of in Christians, or as though they were not very provoking and offensive unto God, or as though you might indulge yourself in them and yet escape with impunity. These are vain words. Observe those who flatter themselves and others with hopes of impunity in sin do but put a cheat upon themselves and others. Thus Satan deceived our first parents with vain words when he said unto them, uh, ye shall not surely die. 
They are vain words indeed. For those who trust in them will find themselves wretchedly imposed upon. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Those that justify you in your sin. Those that may even take you back as we find in some Christian circles. No, you prayed a prayer back then, but your lifestyle is ungodliness. Those that try and flatter you and deceive you to think you're all good. The scripture says, don't give ear to that. Let the Bible tell you where you stand and not a flattering tongue. Let a faithful friend come and tell you the truth in concern because they love you and care for you. So let it wound you like the proverb says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'd rather that than the kisses of an enemy that are deceitful. The enemy cares not for the benefit of your soul and the glory of God. They care to just justify you and perhaps justify themselves so they can be comfortable in their sin too. Oh yeah, man, I struggle with it too, bro. We're on the same page, man. It's all good, man. It's just, it's just, that's our cross, brother. It's just what, this, this, is what we, this is our lot in life. No, it's not. Not in sin. Don't give heed to those words. Your lifestyle is riddled and governed and characteristic of a sinful and worldly man and not of the things that resemble a changed person. Things where my affection is all about heaven and God and His glory. My friend, forsake the words of that flattering tongue, those vain words. Take heed to the Word of God. Because that's the truth that will make you free. It'll set you free. Those vain words keep you in bondage. Those vain words continue to have the wrath of God on you, like John chapter 3 says. But the words of truth will set you free. If only you come and align yourself with the Scriptures. And say, God, I am not this. When I read what a child of God looks like, God, everything you're saying, what a child of God ought not to look like is what I do look like. I remember hearing the testimony of a man who was in the ministry, a preacher. And he said he had to step down and resign because of sin that he got involved with. And he says one day he decided to read the whole book of 1 John. And he said after reading the whole book of 1 John, he made a decision in his mind and he says, he says, if the word of God is true, then I'm lost. If the word of God is true, then I'm a lost man. And that man came and acknowledged that before God. And he asked the Lord to save him. And he was born again and now testifies that he was a lost man. And realized that the word of God was true. And the word of God helped him to see where he stood before God. And he wasn't offended by it. And he didn't reject it. He allowed it to convict him. He allowed it to challenge him. He allowed it to humble him. He allowed it to bring him to God, to call upon him to be saved. And he was saved. And testifies now of what the grace of God looks like. And understand why he couldn't ever live the standard of God's word. My friend, let the word of God tell you where you stand. And don't put your experience as being approved by God on the word of God. If this world is still appealing to you and all its fashions so much so that you are going after it and fashioning yourself after it, there's something wrong with your mindset. There's something wrong with your lifestyle. There's something wrong with your profession. Where do you stand with God? Have we brought our bodies in subjection to the Lord? 
and yielded our lives. Given our bodies, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body, your body. This is what Romans talks about a lot, yielding our members as instruments of righteousness, no longer to unrighteousness, but as righteousness unto holiness and not unrighteousness unto sin. So present your bodies, give your body over once and for all. Let this instrument, let this vessel be presented to God, be offered to God, a living sacrifice. And that's not an offering that you do again and again and again and again. It's an offering that's done once and for all. I've done and dusted. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Present your body, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. Don't fashion yourself after the fashion of the world, but be transformed. It's the same word used when Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James and John where he met with Moses and Elijah up on that mountain. Be ye transformed, metamorphosis, be ye changed more and more into the image of Christ, changed from glory to glory. This is what it's talking about. <clears throat> God forbid, Paul said, that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know, one thing that Paul establishes that is characteristic of a child of God, of a saint. He says, they that are Christ's have crucified, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. He says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. He that's born again has died to himself. He that is born again is taking up his cross and following, his, and following Christ. He's giving glory to the Lord and glory is nothing of what he does, but glory is only in the cross, like we see even demonstrated in Paul. He says, like Paul, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what I live for. This is who I live for. This is why I live the way I live now and why I don't live the way I used to live. Because I'm dead. I'm gone. I'm finished. I don't know how many times I've heard it by friends and family members. After I got saved, they actually got scared how much I changed. And I said to them constantly, it wasn't me. <laughs> Try explain that to someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God. I said, you, you, you don't understand. This is just what happens to a child of God. It wasn't me. And when they saw that I wasn't doing those things that I used to do, they, was, they, they got scared. They got worried. They actually got people to come and talk to me about this because they feared what the gospel did to me. They feared how now all of a sudden, I don't want to live in sin anymore. I don't want to do those things that are displeasing to God anymore. They got scared of that. That's what happens when you come to Christ and allow the gospel to take effect in your life. It's full effect 
and let the Spirit of God lead you. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be accused, falsely accused. My friends, you're going to suffer for Christ's sake. Some don't suffer like others do, but it's given on the behalf of us, not only to believe on Christ, but to suffer for His sake, for Him, for Him. And he goes on to say in the rest of this verse in Philippians. I'm not going to labor much more. He goes on to say that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And so whether I'm with you physically, brethren, or whether I'm not with you, I want to hear how you're faring. I want to hear how you're going. I care about how you're doing. And so what we're seeing here is, is, is Paul, in essence, is an open book and was encouraging them to be an open book. Paul was compassionate and cared about the state of the flock and he wasn't just flipping about whatever was going on there. No, he wanted to make sure that they were doing well. He wanted to make sure that they were in the way of God and we're going to look at some specific things he was looking for. But Paul was an open book and he in essence was exhorting them to be an open book. Like when him being in prison and not able to see the brethren, he sent to tell them how he's doing and wanting to know how they were doing. And we read this in Ephesians where he sent a man named Tychicus to share with the brethren what's taken place with Paul and how Paul is doing and wanting to know how they were doing and how they were faring. And so he was an open book. There was no secrets with Paul. What you see is what you get. There was nothing there if you walked into his house that you would find something that, that he was doing in secret that would contradict the gospel. Yes, he had liberty. Yes, many things were lawful. But many of those things, he says, I deny because they don't encourage you. What a, what a man of God. What a change that came about in this man's life. And he sent to know their affairs and he was hoping to hear something very specific. And it's laid out in the rest of the verse. He said that ye, so I, that I may hear of your affairs, that ye, and this is what I was hoping to hear. That ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He sent to tell the church how he was doing and he wanted to know how they were doing. And he was telling them what he was hoping to hear. And what he was hoping to hear is that they were standing fast. That they were standing firm. That they were persevering, <laughs> that they were persisting. This is what he was hoping to hear. That they were standing fast in one spirit. In one spirit is, is in reference to persuasion, influence. This is talking about a disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. 
that they were of this one spirit. And the scripture tells us, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. And he goes on to say in one mind, speaking of focus, speaking of direction, speaking of thinking alike. We actually think alike of one mind and Philippians in chapter two, the next chapter, a couple of times he mentions it there that he wants them to be like minded, that he wants them to be of one accord, that he wants them to be of one heart, that he wants them to be of one soul elsewhere in the scriptures, that he wants them to be of one mouth elsewhere in the scriptures, that he wants them to be of one accord and one mind and one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what he's saying? I want you to be unified. That I'm hoping to hear that you are one and that you're standing fast as one with this same purpose, with this same mind, with this same spirit, with this same heart, with this same spot, with this same soul, with this same direction. Striving together. That you're working together. The idea is actually wrestling. It has the idea of contesting. He's saying, in essence, I don't want to hear that you're fighting against each other, that you're together contesting. You're in the same fight on the same side, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That you're together on this. You're not a divided body, you're a unified body, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The psalmist says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Scriptures teach us concerning the picture that the body resembles. Elsewhere he says, Being perfectly joined together. A building fitly framed together. A body fitly joined together. It's this thing of unity. It's this thing of oneness. We're striving together. And Paul's saying, I hope to hear this of you. I hope to hear this of you. Brothers and sisters, what's the report if God were to send someone our way? What would the report be amongst us? God help us that it would be a brother, a brethren, a body that is striving together, that is of one spirit, that is of one mind, that we are striving together. We're in the same fight. We're on the same side. We're fighting the same enemy. And we're making everything we're aiming for about the gospel. Not about me. Not about you. Not about anyone else. It's all about the gospel. It's all for the cause of Christ. It's all about Him. Not just any faith. Not just a faith. Not just faith because it's good to have faith as many like to suggest. It's for specifically the faith of the gospel because it's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that draws men unto Christ to be saved. It's the only way to be delivered from sin. It's the only way to be delivered from hell. It's the only way to receive eternal life. It's by the gospel. It's the only way to be laborers together with God. This is elsewhere where Paul says that we're laboring together with God. He that sows is nothing. He that waters is nothing. It's God that gives the increase. We're just laborers together 
with God. We're on the same mind and same page in the same direction with God. God is leading us. God is leading us. Paul says elsewhere, we preach not ourselves. I'm not bringing to you my own philosophies. I'm not bringing to you my own concepts. I'm not bringing to you anything of ourselves. We're not lifting ourselves up here. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Your servants? But Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Not anymore. <laughs> he was the servant of servants. But you know why? Because Jesus taught him that. And he wanted to be like Jesus. And he wanted to do what Jesus did. That's what God wants us to do. Willing to endure all things for the sake of the gospel. Willing to partake in the sufferings of Christ. Willing to be made like the scum of the earth. Willing to lose his reputation like Jesus made himself of no reputation. Willing to give his all like Jesus gave his all. Striving together for the sake of the gospel. Going about being all about the gospel. Earnestly contending for the faith. Gospel focused. Nothing but the gospel. Brothers and sisters, is that what we're all about? When people look at us individually and if we examine our life before God, can you honestly with all sincerity before God say, Lord, you know, I have given my all and will gladly give whatever else, Lord. Is there anything else I'm withholding from you? And that's a heart that is striving, not because I'm trying to earn some sort of merit as such, but it's just a heart that wants their lifestyle to be only that which becometh the gospel. That they want to live not only by themselves, but with the saints of God for the sake of the gospel. Together for the sake of the gospel. Or maybe you come before God and say, God, none of this is, is resembling me. None of this. I've heard today what you want us to do, what you want me to do. And Lord, I don't know what my brother's going to do. I don't know what my sister's going to do. I don't know what my mum's going to do, what my dad's going to do, what my friend's going to do. I don't know what you want me to do, Lord. I know what you want of my lifestyle. Lord, I'm going to get off the throne again. And I want you to be on the throne. And I want my lifestyle. I want everything I do. I want every decision I make. I want the whole direction of my life and everything that my life would resemble. God, I want it to be something that complements and doesn't confuse what the gospel looks like in the life of a person. Only let your conversation be that which becometh the gospel. Amen.